HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today they are tuning in to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a app for breastfeeding moms in restaurants. And that sounds pretty incongruous because it kind of is. Um, But hopefully after this show and with some work being done by some good people, that might be something that becomes very common and not a big deal. All of you out there listening in podcast land, you may not be parents, you may have never breastfed, but I bet every single one of you was a baby at some point. (laughs) I bet every single one of you was a baby eating Maybe you were breastfed as a baby. Maybe you had a bottle, but you probably had somebody who was feeding you when you were a baby for a while until you could feed yourself. And it's a pretty important thing. It's an interesting time to be talking about this in the fall of 2022 in America and beyond. We are getting ready for the midterm elections here. And, you know, family rights and care for families and paid medical leave and women's health rights are very, very top of mind right now. Typically, the restaurant space, restaurant kitchens, restaurant dining rooms, restaurants as workplaces have been really notoriously um, not concerned about people's private personal lives and health. The restaurant industry is really something that has been famous for Um, really making people focus a thousand percent on their job and kind of giving everything to the job while they're there. Long, long hours, six days, working six, seven days a week, double shifts, working on holidays, late night, the overnight, all of those things. Um, You're not supposed to be sick or do anything other than show up and come to work. And you're certainly not supposed to take breaks. You're not supposed to go to the bathroom. Um, If you get injured, oftentimes it's very commonplace for cooks to, you know, just kind of crazy glue that that, that cut up and, and get back to the line. And in a society where breastfeeding is still something that's not really natural or normal, 
that's still not something that we see every day out in public, even though we know there are lots of babies eating. Um, it's definitely not something that you would see in a restaurant and certainly not something you would see in a restaurant kitchen. But the reality is it happens. The reality is there are women in kitchens. And if we want to see more women in kitchens, um, it's something that should be addressed. Um, and it's not just women who have babies, but also dads and other people who are parents and want to take care of their families. And, you know, it takes a village. So today we have a, a really interesting show and something that I'm really happy to be shining a light on so we can talk about it. There is a company called Pump Spotting. And, you know, if you want to figure out how to be a mom breastfeeding in a restaurant, or if you're a restaurant owner and you want to figure out how to let your staff help your staff do that, there's an app for that, like so many things. It's called Pump Spotting. It is a digital online platform community with support for women who are breastfeeding in the workplace, including restaurants. It is 24-hour coaching. It is suggestions on how to do that and support it. It is bringing together a community of people doing the same things at the same time, encountering the same joys and and pitfalls and stresses. And really important, this came to my purview because a couple of entities that we're very familiar with here on Tech Bytes have joined together to really bring pump spotting into the restaurant industry. So joining us today, we have Derek Wallace, who is co-founder of Kalamata's Kitchen, which we have covered before on this show. If you want to go back and listen to that, that's episode 241. Kalamata's Kitchen is about introducing food to kids and helping kids discover food, culture, the world, taste, flavor, health through food. Um, and it makes a lot of sense that they would be supporting pump spotting in the restaurant industry because breastfeeding is sort of the first food. So Derek, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to join you. And we also have Beverly Kim, who is a chef and an owner of two restaurants in Chicago, Parachute and Wherewithal. She is the founder of a nonprofit called The Abundance Setting, which is really about putting forward um, thoughts, ideas, concerns, and resources for moms and families in the restaurant space. And she is also a mom of three. And breastfeeding at work is pretty important to her. And it had one interesting, it had one, she had one experience as an employee and one experience as an owner. Uh, so Beverly, thank you for joining us today also from Chicago. Thanks for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. So let's sort of walk through just the idea kind of chronologically of what it's like for a mom to be needing a, a new mom to need to breastfeed her baby on the line in a restaurant and why this is something that we should even be talking about. Beverly, when we spoke yesterday, you you shared a really uh, personal story, which you know we appreciate, but also two very different experiences of being a new mom as an employee and being a new mom as an owner. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> my first son, who is now 12, I was working at uh, two different places. I had worked at Whole Foods. I was also a chef de cuisine in a hotel. And I can tell you that, um, you know, it, when you work in a, in a restaurant, and there's just never enough time. And you're always putting your work first. And um, there, there were many times where um, I, I definitely 
put, I forgot about the fact that every two or three so hours I need to pump or, uh, and, and one case scenario, it turned out that I, I got mastitis, which was extremely painful and, um, turned out I had a fever and it was very, uh, very uncomfortable for me, but I realized, you know, um, it's just not normalized in our, uh, back of the house uh, being a nursing mom. I mean, it's like, um, you know, uh, the spaces, uh, there's very few spaces for, that are private. Um, you know, you can go in an office, but it's usually a shared office. Um, and, you know, it's, you're going in long stretches um, without these kind of breaks and barely have enough time, like you said, for bathroom breaks, let alone to have um, a nursing break. I remember the first restaurant that I worked in, they had one locker room for men and women. And that right. was it. And there was a bathroom in the locker room for the staff. And because right. we were staff in a fancy restaurant, you weren't allowed to go use the re the restrooms in the dining room, which were one set for men and one set for women. And I remember the first day I got there and I had to change. And I kind of looked around and I was like, okay, here we are. I'm the only woman in the locker room and I'm going to change my clothes now. Well, everything about, it, I feel like a restaurant <laughs> is, you know, um, you know, real estate is really high in a restaurant, but it's also like centered around sort of a cisgender male's lifestyle. <laughs> so I, um, as, as a woman, um, uh, and, and top of that a nursing woman, you really, uh, aren't top of mind or thought of. And I think, it's really important um, in order to retain women in this industry, like um, to really address the issues of how we're going to create a pathway for working moms to stay in this industry. Um, because whether or not you are going to have a child or not, they see a woman and and they see a liability to the business, like because there's no support systems to 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 support women. So they see women who potentially could have a child or will become a mom one day and they disinvest in us. So um, I, I, I see it as a very critical thing for, for our community to address whether or not you're going to be a parent or, um, and it also does, uh, like you said, um, put into the purview, like how important it is to take care of families and that we, we are human <laughs> in this industry. We are human beings and who have, to take care of ourselves and our families. And um, the more women that you see in this industry come to leadership, the more light you will see on these kind of issues because uh, you know these are important to us to care for our families and to care for our children. So um, you know, the, the interesting thing is that there's more women who actually uh, graduate from culinary school, about 54% graduate from culinary school, but only maybe 7% make it to the top as executive chefs or lead, lead executive owners. Um, so we have to consider why women drop out along the way. And I, I, I think a huge reason of this is because we haven't created or addressed the pathway for women as they have families and as they move through different parts of their life um, to retain them in this industry. And part of being a, a working mom is addressing how are we going to be feeding our babies, you know, when we're coming back to work? 
So when did you open your first restaurant? Um, my first restaurant was opened in 2014. Um, by that time, my first child was four years old. And then I, a few years later, three years later, I had my second child. So how did you change, how did you change the structure of your restaurant relative to other places that you and you've worked in to make it more, you know, family person, human friendly? Yeah. So I actually had a, um, uh, a host who was um, going through IVF and she had talked to me about how she needed certain times to get her shots in or certain times for her doctor's appointments. And I said, look, as long as we communicate and we're covering her, you know, if we can just communicate and be on top of it and give her this time and space. I mean, she was very, um, very communicative and we were able to support her by just allowing her to have that, you know, 15 minute break to get her, her shots done or like, you know, and for her doctor's appointments or whatnot, we, we were, uh, we had planned it out and, um, she had a very successful, um, go at it and, and became a parent. Um, then came COVID. So she actually moved to Italy, but I would say that was kind of a win in terms of just the communication piece between, um, as an owner and, and sort of like, making accommodate like reasonable accommodations for her in our workspace to to accomplish what she needed to um as um being pregnant and you know we had a plan for her you know after she would come back to work and we had a plan for her for her time off and and um we had a um, some things in place like short-term disability which she paid into so it helped pay for her um you know uh her her salary for a good portion of the time, but also, you know, we, uh, coming back from, from the pandemic, we have decided to add a four week parental leave program. So it, it's just, um, having the space to talk about it and making small steps towards, um, you know, normalizing it, being more, um, reasonably accommodating for these things because, because, uh, we want to retain great staff, you know, we want to retain, uh, women leadership. Well, and also it's so competitive right now for good staff. Having staff, finding staff for a restaurant has long been a challenge for restaurant owners and operators. It's been something that has been discussed, you know, in the media, mainstream media for almost close to a decade now. And certainly coming back or, you know, reopening after the closures for the pandemic, it's really become increasingly difficult for a variety of reasons. One is geography, people move. So, you know, centers of where people are have changed. But the other thing is the quality of life, health insurance, paid vacation, being able to work from home, all those things that so much of the world experienced, the restaurant industry was completely outside of that, just given the nature of what the work is. And people um, I think want to have more what I would just call regular everyday type work job benefits like paid vacation or paid sick days or health insurance or, yeah, you know, being able to take time off or, you know, any of those things that a lot of the working public takes for granted. Oh, absolutely. And I think that um, these are the steps we need to take to uh, professionalize the industry. Um, you know, it's kind of a cyclical effect. If we don't um, professionalize it in ways um, to 
to uh, be inclusive, um, it'll just kind of output the same, which is, you know, a, a culture of misogyny, a culture of um, being a boys club or things like that. So we we need to have we need to have more women in leadership. We need to address some of these. More and more restaurants are addressing the the need for uh, healthcare and paid time off. Um, and that's also in hand in hand with educating the public that how are we going to pay for this too, you know, and, you know, we need that public to support that good food should cost also, you know, it, it costs more than it, we shouldn't be, um, what's it, it shouldn't be a race to the bottom line when it comes to food, like good food is, is, uh, requires fair labor and, um, and, and, as a result, we're going to have a stronger, uh, more sustainable uh, restaurant community. Which is the community at large, which is the community that we live in. Um, and, you know, it's also not just for women, but it's also for men um, mm -hmm. and just the environment of, you know, the restaurant also. Restaurants are also notoriously um, not concerned and, and harsh with men and their health issues also. Um, days off, sick, sick days, stress, all those types of things. They are, you know, sort of equally, equally not caring about people <laughs> in the restaurant industry, kind of really famously about it. And, you know, the cornerstone of that popular TV show, um, everybody loves just how um, dysfunctional and terrible it is. And people are celebrating how, oh, it's so realistic. They got so many things right. And it's an odd sort of <laughs> fascination and kudos to something that recreated something terrible accurately in a weird way. Um, Derek, tell us how Kalamata's Kitchen got involved. It's it. I, I mean, I sort of understand the tangent, um, but you know, restaurant kitchens, professional working moms, lactating, you know, breastfeeding, all that stuff. Kalamata's Kitchen is really geared towards. Um, really, really young people and new eaters and, you know, having fun adventures with food and learning about things and cultures and, and just sort of building a, a sense of, you know, curiosity and wonder and fearlessness um, in our young little people based around food. How did Kalamata's Kitchen get involved in this project? Well, first of all, let me thank you for describing what we do so well. That was excellently put. Um, and the way that we got involved is because along with sort of building around our two characters, Kalamata and El Dente, and presenting them as heroes to kids who get kids excited to try new things and experience new things in the world, we also feature the stories of some of our chef heroes, people like Chef Kim. And I'm so thrilled that she's joining me today to even share space with this, you know, type of leadership and brilliance is, is an honor. And as we tell these stories to families, we had noticed that a lot of our chef friends were having children and maybe it was their first child, maybe it was their second or their third. And we were brainstorming how we could do something to truly show substantial support and let them know that we're thinking about them and that we're thinking about their families as they're about to have a, a child. And we as a company, as Kalamata's Kitchen, are subscribers to the Pump Spotting platform. I had actually heard uh, Amy Van Heron, who's the founder of Pump Spotting, give a keynote. And that was really eye-opening to me because as a man who has never and will never breastfeed, I didn't understand the isolation and the 
the all of the physical and emotional um, commitments that come with breastfeeding. I, I, I logically understood it existed. I didn't understand the full depths of it. And we subscribe to the platform so that our team members and our contractors who work with us have access to, you know, good quality healthcare. And we thought to ourselves, well, what if we could gift access to this sub subscription-based platform to our chef friends who are about to have children? And that idea quickly grew to, what if we could make this platform available and sponsor this platform to every single mother in the restaurant industry? And we started working right away, both internally with the pump spotting team and also with the Abundance Setting, the Ali, the Ali Initiative, and Resi to figure out how could we expand this out to make this important platform available to mothers uh, throughout the industry. To your point, we don't think that mothers should have to choose between nursing their child and nourishing their career. And we wanted to make a substantial impact on, on helping to improve that situation. Which, you know, it, it's a great expansion of something that you were offering internally and to your team and, and your people, and then, you know, sort of sharing it out to the world, which is generally how, you know, waves of good things start to happen. Um, if you're listening along at home and or in the car or on the subway or on your walk to work or maybe in a restaurant or a coffee shop and you want to take a look at Pump Spotting, that's pumpspottingoneword.com. And if you go to pumpspotting.com slash restaurants, you can take a look specifically at the program that we're talking about. The interesting thing is that on an in individual level, I think if you did a survey of people eating in a restaurant or people on the street or, you know, even listeners to this podcast and said, you know, would you like a person to have to choose between feeding their child or going to work? And I don't think you would come across people who would say, yes, I want someone to have to make that choice. Or yes, I believe I want to live in a city or a country or a place where these are the choices that we have to make. Um, you know, take care of my child, earn a living. Because earning a living is taking care of my child also. So it's, it's interesting that on the human person-to-person -person level, I think so many of these things, um, ev everyone, nobody wants that. But then when it comes to, you know, voting or policy or to your point, Beverly, what I'm willing to pay for a cheeseburger, then things become a little bit different. Um, no, I, I don't want to pay more than $10 for my cheeseburger. I don't want to do this. I don't want to see that in public. And then, you know, things become a little bit more challenging. Um, it's it's also interesting to me that um, more people, especially, well, actually, let me ask a question. Uh, Beverly and also Derek, do you think that this type of initiative is more enthusiastically received now, sort of post-pandemic, when health and family care and child care is really front and center? Is it something that's been building anyway? I mean, Beverly, these are things you've been working on in your career and in your industry and in your businesses for a long time. Is it a different environment now because of the sort of staggering health issues that we went through and how important childcare is and was to reopening the world? Yeah. I mean, I think more than ever before, we had a she session during the pandemic because there was a lack of childcare um, with Zoom schools and, and it was just, um, there was a huge burden on working mothers to take on the brunt of, of childcare at home and, and giving up their work. Um, 
And so I, I think a lot of moms got together and were like wanting to demand more attention to these issues. Um, but I think this has been a long time coming in terms of, you know, women's rights, you know, uh, even from the nine to five days of Jane Fonda, you know, uh, of, of how the, the workforce is catered for men and not for, for women's issues. And I think, um, you know, I've always been told, I've been told like, don't go into this industry because you can get a better job, paint your nails and have a <laughs> easier life or something like some, some men have told me this. And then I, I said, well, no, I'm going to keep going. I want to do this as my passion. And then when I decided to have a child, it was like another, like I got another like round of people saying, you can't do this. You can't be a, a, a you're going to have to give up being a chef. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give up being a chef, you know? And so where there's a will, I found a way, but it was, extremely difficult. What I realized was the reason people are trying to get me out of this industry is because there is a lack of support, lack of support. And, but other countries do have those kind of support systems, you know, whether it's uh, paid parental leave or stronger childcare systems. Um, childcare is, uh, they have stipends or credits for that. Um, I didn't realize how extremely expensive childcare can be. And also how hard it is as a, you know, person who doesn't work nine to five, I work like 11 to 11 sometimes, you know, maybe till midnight, you know, and weekends. And, and like you said, holidays, like these are days that um, typically childcare is closed. So what do I do to, to be, you know, to support my lifestyle and, and realizing um, I'm not the only one who had these same issues. I mean, there's other also aligning industries and in healthcare, um, for example, who have off hours and, you know, in the service industry that we have uh, even, theater industry, right? Um, there's other industries that don't have the support systems for women to succeed it, it, as parents. So, you know, and I'm saying uh, women and men, but I'm saying women because we're the ones who kind of sacrifice more. It's still in our culture for the women to to be take on the brunt of the home care, the, the the domestic work. So it, it inevitably, uh, there's, there's a few things that need to go hand in hand. I mean, cultural changes, cultural expectations where the partnership is more equal, you know, with uh, domestic work and child caregiving, but it's also um, addressing these kind of more uh, practical side. I mean, when you're uh, giving birth to a child, I mean, it takes you know, six weeks to even heal, you know, and I'm going, we're all going back to work so early because two weeks, we, two weeks, you yep. know, financially we can't afford, we don't have, we don't, we financially can't afford to, to not go back to work. We might lose our jobs, you know, and, um, you know, even with breastfeeding, there's not necessarily protection by law, you know, to take these breaks to, you know, it's go state by state, right? In some states, it's not allowed, it's not legal, you know, it's, it's even legal to like, say, you can't have a pumping break, you know, it's just, it's, it's like, how are we going to do this as, as, as women, you know, and working mothers, you know, nursing moms, and, you know, uh, I think, you know, it's so contradicting, 
it's so contradicting and confusing because on one hand you have, you know, pediatricians um, saying, you know, nursing for a year is breastfeeding for a year is the best food for your child. And I hundred percent agree. You know, I've breastfed for a year for, for all my three children, but like how extremely difficult it is to keep up your milk supply, how demanding that is on your body, you know, and how much, how many calories you're burning and how tired and fatigued you are, you know, to keep up with that. And, and, um, you know, but it's the best food for your child. Right. And, you know, secondly, um, you know, we, we had even during, uh, you know, supply issues with formula. So, you know, it's, it's just like encouraging, you know, keeping up milk supply is really important, but how are we going to do that when the laws don't support, you know, um, women who are going back to work to, um, you know, pump or, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. And now even with, you know, making child, you know, I'm sorry, with making choices of our own bodies, whether or not we want to be parents, because uh, that is, it just feels like uh, in some ways we're going back in time because, you know, we had already fought and won a lot of these kind of issues and now going back in time, it seems like um, polarizing, right? Yeah, it is very polarizing. And the thing that seems to be really, uh, to your point, confusing and counterproductive and ironic is that so much of what we talk about societally in terms of things that are being things that are important to us. Um, It's important to us to have good food. It's important to us to have things that are organic or raised properly or have a workforce that's treated well and ethically and, and fairly in an economic sense. And we want you know, happy, you know, well-educated, smart kids and good families and support systems and all these things. Um, and again, I go back to what I said earlier, there, there aren't a lot of people who, if you ask them on a one-on-one, you know, are, are you for or against these things? Everybody's for these things. But when it comes to actualizing them, when it comes to taking care of those children, when it comes to paying the actual monetary value of what growing things and bringing them to your home to eat actually looks like in a financial sense, or even paying the delivery person who brought your, you know, who brought your DoorDash to your door, tipping them, people don't want to do. And so on, on a personal level, they don't want to do it. On a perhaps policy voting, you know, community level, they maybe do or don't want to do it. And certainly on, you know, a state and national level, it's just sort of staggering how government is telling us in many ways, they're definitely not only do they not want to do it, they're hardline not gonna do it, or they're going to try really hard not to. So there's a huge, huge gap, I think, between, um, you know, sort of the idealistic informed point of view that we have as people today, but then the realities of what we are willing to do personally, and then what we're doing kind of culturally and societally and and in our government. Um, We're going to take a quick break and find out who is supporting this show and who is supporting Heritage Radio Network so we can keep talking about important things and and share the mic with great organizations and people like this. We are a 5013C nonprofit, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of underwriters like this one. Stay with us. Exciting news for restaurants. Bento Box and Clover have teamed up to provide even more technology for a better hospitality experience. 
With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. BentoBox's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With BentoBox and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. That's getbento.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a digital platform, an app called Pump Spotting. It is support for women who are breastfeeding, feeding their babies for businesses and organizations who want to support that and create a space so that that can happen for as long as the babies and the moms need to do that. Um, It is currently being offered um, in a subsidized subscription for restaurant people, women who work in restaurants, restaurant owners. Um, That is a project that was undertaken by Kalamata's Kitchen, Resi, and the Lee Initiative. Great organizations coming together to make something accessible to a greater number of people. Um, Joining us today to talk about that, we have Beverly Kim, who is the chef and owner of two restaurants in Chicago, Parachute and Wherewithal. She's also the founder of the nonprofit, The Abundant Setting, which is geared towards looking at and supporting exactly these types of women forward family issues in the restaurant industry. We're also joined by Derek Wallace, who is co-founder of Kalamata's Kitchen, which is an online platform to online platform entertainment company to introduce kids and baby eaters uh, to new foods, to make them fearless and curious about tasting new foods with the idea that that will make them more open to other cultures and other people and just generally having a positive and curious outlook about the differences in the world. Derek, notably, um, you're a man. You won't be breastfeeding, um, although you are also a dad. I, I think it's important to talk about you know, your enthusiasm for this project. You certainly were really vocal about you know, why Kalamata's Kitchen is, is really um, focused on you know, sharing these types of things. So many times we think of this as just being about women. Yeah, this is, I mean, to me, it's about humanity. It's about society. And I think that when you were discussing earlier the timeliness of this issue, I think that Chef Kim hit on all of the most important points. To me, a woman's right and ability to make the healthcare decisions that are best for her is frighteningly at risk in our society. And that's terrifying to me. And I think that you're correct that if we ask people on the street, men and women, do you support a woman's ability to feed her child, the future of our society, while also nourishing her career? I think a lot of people would obviously say yes. 
But putting that into practice is an entirely different thing. And being bluntly honest, I don't think that male leadership has done enough to actually support those words. I think it's really nice to say, I want to support women in the workplace and in the career. And I think that they should have kids. And I understand all of the, the ways that that is better for our society. But then you have to actually do something about that. And you were talking about some of the challenges that exist, whether it's on a personal level, a governmental level, or an organizational level, I think that the difference between thinking that something is nice and actually doing something about it, or the reasons why people don't do something about it, really comes down to selfishness and lack of empathy. Or on, a, on an organizational level, maybe it's greed and a lack of empathy. But I guess what I would say is to people out there who say, yes, I support these two things happening at the same time, um, I don't believe you until you do something about it. And, and that's where I think that I'm hopeful that organizations out there like Resi, the Lee Initiative, the Abundance Setting, we're, we're, we're honored to be in that company, that building initiatives that actually show support can be one part of a much larger puzzle that actually leads to progress instead of um, some of the regression that, that Chef Tim has pointed out we're, we're seeing in our society. Uh, you're you're absolutely right in terms of connecting the dots and, you know, organizations and institutions needing to take more of a lead, you know, in terms of like the practicality of it, you know, how does a partnership like this come together in terms of what, you know, what do you need to do to make something like this happen? You have, you know, three organizations working with a fourth organization. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, just from a point of view of, hey, I have something I would like to maybe do something like that with my organization, or I have a nonprofit that I work with. How can I go about that? Sometimes I think people have great ideas, and they have the desire, and they maybe even have time and resources. But sometimes it's hard to figure out the pathway to that. How did you all do that at Kalamata's Kitchen? We were fortunate that the people that we were working with are all dream big type people and very much act entrepreneurially, you know, whether it's the chefs that we work with or the people at Pump Spotting, the people at Resi. These are all people who find reasons that they can do things instead of say reasons why they have to say no. And I have to say, we went from concept to activation on this remarkably fast, almost impossibly fast. And it was all because we built an idea that we thought, to your point earlier, a lot of people would want to say yes to and then try to understand all of the reasons why people would be interested in seeing it get to market. And with the organizations that we're working with that we've highlighted here, everyone jumped on board and said, I see no downside to this. I see only upside. What do we have to do to make it happen? Um, I'll also tell you anecdotally, afterward, we were talking about how, how did we make that happen so fast? And uh, we were looking at the number of people that were involved. So I think that between all of the organizations, there was something like 36 people directly hands-on involved in getting this to market. And I have to give credit to the female leadership. There were 34 women and two men. <laughs> that were involved in that process. And I think it's a testament to uh, the female leadership who jumped on board. I also think that if it were 
predominantly male leadership, maybe we would have hit more headwinds. And I think that that is, again, to the points that, that Chef Kim has made, these are clear examples of why we need to build platforms that promote more female leadership across all industries. So again, giving full credit to every organization, I think that it all came down to come up with a good idea, be passionate about it, be determined and find people who want to be evangelists for it. And we were super lucky to, uh, to get all of those people on board. I th that's a, a, an amazing statistic that of the 36, only two were men, but everything happened at lightning speed and got out the door and was amazing. Um, you know, I, 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 I will be maybe biased and make a gross generalization, but women are really great in just about every single setting. They work really good under pressure. They work fast. They pay attention to detail and they just keep it moving um, with a lot less talking sometimes. I know that many, many chefs that I've talked to who are men love having women in the kitchen because they do great work with a lot less drama in many ways. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe we need to see that, you know, 34 to ratio in more places and maybe we'll get more stuff done faster, better. <laughs> <laughs> um, just out of curiosity, so the the discount for restaurants, um, it's, the subscription is being offered at $99 for restaurants, and it's typically um, $499 for an annual subscription, which is just really amazing, um, an amazing, amazing um, offer. Do you have a sense anecdotally about how many um, people, women, institutions are are picking up the program and are aware of it? Is it national rollout? Do you have people from all over the country? In fact, it's international. International. That's fantastic. In so much as through the uh, partnership that we have with Resi, it's been offered to more than 8,000 restaurant partners in um, North America. Uh, so we're, we're thrilled with that fact. As far as the subscription that you pointed out, just to be clear, the platform is available to every single mother in the restaurant industry and is the, the fee has been sponsored. So it does not require that a restaurant or a restaurant group be a subscriber in order for any mother in the restaurant industry to go to pumpspotting.com slash restaurants, put in basic information and get the login credential necessary for them to have access to the platform. We did, to your point, um, work with Resi specifically to offer the platform at $99 for restaurants and restaurant groups who want the uh, ad additional support of pump spotting for the workplace, which gives them additional benefits and support platforms. I recognize that the restaurant industry operates on very slim margins and their ability to offer comprehensive health care is a challenge. I think at $500, it's a total no-brainer. At $99, it's the easiest decision in the world because it's just really enhancing your overall human resources support platform for, for families in general. As far as getting it out to large groups, we want thousands of mothers to be on this platform. And uh, we're working with, again, all of our partners to get it out to the 8,000 resi destinations. We have some of the most notable restaurant groups in the country on board, uh, Sea Creatures Restaurants in the Pacific Northwest, led by, led by Chef Renee Erickson, the Rivers and Hills Hospitality Group is on board. Obviously, you know, Chef Kim and her two restaurants, along with, you know, being a leader of the nonprofit and the chef of those restaurants, she's also one of the most decorated uh, individuals in the, in the 
culinary industry. So we really do have some of the best leadership around um, on board and saying we want to tell the world about it. And that's why we're so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today, because uh, a win for us is seeing uh, as many women supported by this platform as possible. And all people on the spectrum from, you know, male to female can support, you know, new moms and can support new families. I see so many photos on social media of the chef with their new baby, the male chef whose family has had a new baby and they bring the baby chef, they bring the baby to work and the baby's often in the little chef jacket and, you know, sitting at the pass and it's so adorable I wonder if, you know, today male chefs, when they have children, are they more conscientious of that now? Are they thinking of like, wow, this is more important to me? Or do the babies leave then and then they don't see them? So, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, I wonder about that sometimes. Yeah, I I, I definitely think that um, people are more wholesome, like integrating work and home more front and center, I think, in our industry where before everything was behind the closed doors, you know, you didn't even see the kitchen. Um, Everything was, you know, kind of hidden away. And I think like by showing that we are people too, you know, men and women together uh, in the, it just makes it, it normalizes that, oh yeah, we have families and we needed, we, you know, I I have many uh, chef friends who are male and, they uh, are parents now, and I think to them, it's very important to be available for their children, you know, and this industry really does take a toll on mental health and uh, emotional, um, and there's a lot of uh, sacrifice that you take to, to make it in this industry, and I think we're all saying that we need a change. Um I've seen actually a lot of successful chefs n- not, you know, I mean, suicide and um, alcoholism and it, it breaks the family apart. Um, it's not healthy. Um, we need to make a change uh, to be happy. And if you have happy people cooking for you and serving your food, I think, Overall, we have a happy community. And I think as a culture, um, we need to value caregivers, right? So in, I think the the, uh, the greatness of a culture comes from how people take care of their children, how, pe- how the culture is taking care of their elders, how the culture is taking care of the people who are caregiving, you know? And in all of those ways, I feel like the hospitality industry is p- central to all of those parts. And we need to value the hospitality industry um, as caregiving. It's almost a little bit of a sham from one point of view, because so many, so many people in the hospitality industry, you know, talk about hospitality and feeding people and creating that like warm, wonderful environment that makes you feel so good. And we're anticipating what you want and what you need. And we're going to nourish your you know, we're going to nourish you by feeding you good food and you're going to feel great and you have this wonderful feeling. But then underneath it, it's just, you know, really chaotic and they're not, you know, restaurants are not exuding that same warmth and caretaking to their employees. Although they are really trying to train them to do that for other people really, really effectively. So it's, 
it's almost ironic um, in some respects that an industry that is like that's ultimate success and a great part of the satisfaction of why people are in the restaurant industry, in spite of all of the, you know, the, the costs of like personal toll and work and things like that is because there is something deeply satisfying about feeding people and taking care of them and creating a nice environment and, and having that shared communal moment that is deeply satisfying. It's just ironic and, and really in a, in a very, um, in a very, very sad, bittersweet way that this is why people do it. And this is what they're selling. And yet it's really challenging and almost verboten to try and create the same thing for your business and your staff. I, I think that it's not uncommon to see people who are especially giving of themselves and wanting to do things for other people and nourish other people many times to not look out for themselves as well and make sure that they're healthy and that they're taken care of. And I think that leadership in the restaurant industry is, is probably has a lot of people who fit that description. They want to entertain, they want to nourish, they want to create an experience for people and then are putting themselves last when it comes to self-care. And that's just my opinion, working alongside people in the restaurant industry, not being in the restaurant industry myself. But I think that when we take a look at something like what we're doing here, we've discussed some of the things that are troubling about the direction that we're headed in. And at the same time, for us at Kalamata's Kitchen, what we are focused on is how can we provide tools to a family that helps them raise more empathetic children? And of course, that starts when a child starts eating. So I think exactly to the point that you had made is what can we do today to make sure that these kids are growing up healthier? And whether it's a mother in the restaurant industry or a father in the restaurant industry to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to support that family so that that child grows up physically, psychologically as healthy as possible, because that's where we find hope. We find hope for the future in the kids who are going to grow up better leaders than we are today or than we have today. And that's why I think something like this is so important. We need to provide as many tools as we can to families to make life a little bit easier for them. I, I have. I, I think that the the <clears throat> Der what Derek was saying is absolutely true. What you have in the hospitality industry are people who love to give of themselves first, and we're givers, and therefore. Uh, thinking about taking care of ourselves is always the last. It's always comes last. And it kind of relates to being a working mom. I feel like working moms always do that. They always take care of everyone else except for themselves. That's why you say give, give a task to a working mother. She'll get it done faster than anyone else because we're used to always getting things done. But uh, the burnout rate and what that does on your children and your family, I think is, is something to to uh, we have seen that it, 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 it there is a burnout and um, we're here as a community. I think the one good thing about uh, the restaurant industry too is we are probably some of the most creative people. I would think uh, always constantly thinking about solutions to things and also pushing the needle for what's new and next. And so why don't we put our energy towards how to solve these problems instead of um, you know, accepting this as status quo. And I think that's what the restaurant industry is. Creativity is not just also how you look at how a dish comes together, but creativity is how we design our own restaurants and designing not just physically, but 
the soft infrastructure, the infrastructure, and this is this also applies to other cross industry. When we talk about uh, Build Back Better, we're also talking about the soft infrastructure in our society that supports a better community. Of, you know, our our future generation, our children, is the most important thing, right? Is how are they going to um, grow up to be healthy and happy? And so, um, I think right now we're at a critical standing point for the restaurant industry. Uh, for the past hundred years, you know, we've kind of accepted this as status quo, but we're actually at a turning point where we're trying to be creative and how we're going to pivot this to a uh, more successful <laughs> industry. Well, in an interesting sense, I think globally, for the first time in the history of the world, I believe the pandemic was the first time everyone in the world experienced the same thing simultaneously. I don't think that's ever really happened for such a prolonged period of time. And it was a collective reckoning amongst the people of the world in terms of you know, the mortality of life and how in interconnected we are and what systems work and what systems are broken and you know how far we have come or how far we have to go in terms of society and civilization and all those types of things that it really is sort of the perfect time to make a big pivot or go in a different direction or tear something down and build it back up again, because you don't need to explain to anyone now why you want to do that. That's why people are quitting their jobs or changing professions or moving or doing something completely different or just taking a break to figure out what they want to do. And you don't have to explain to people why you're doing that right now, because we all understand. So I do think that now's the time to make those big, broad sweeping changes um, because everyone understands why uh, you would want to do that. And the other thing, you know, we had a great, we did our Mother's Day show with Alice Chen, who's the CEO and the founder of Culinary Agents, which is an international platform to support the hospitality industry for people looking for jobs and, and organizations and restaurants hiring people. It's much more than a job board. They have information and it's, uh, you know, you can follow restaurants that you like and get notified if they're hiring and there's a lot of great content and it's, it's a really, um, it's a great company. She's a great person. She's been on the show many, many times over the years and she had a baby and when we had her on, um, her first mother's day is our mother's day show, working mom, working tech entrepreneur, mom, working mom in the restaurant industry. And, you know, she talked about the challenges and she also talked about, you know, from what she sees in her business, which essentially is tracking the hospitality business, money isn't enough anymore. And we see that today. Restaurants and restaurant groups, if they can, they have the, the, the economic ability to offer $500 signing bonus, $1,000, $2,000 staying bonus. If you stay more than six months or you stay a year, or you refer somebody or paying $25 an hour and really astronomical salaries and bonuses that we've never seen before. And yet people still don't want to come and work because it's not necessarily about the money anymore. It is about Jennifer, the quality I'm of totally life. I'm in agreement with you. I it's think about quality of life. Quality of life. And I think for me, it's always been about a dream. We have to instill dreams in people again. We have to dream for... I, I mean, that's the one thing as an immigrant, um, child of immigrants, my mom and dad were sacrificed so much and had a lot of suffering with miscommunication, not speaking English. And, uh, but they always told me that, you know, with Beverly, you always have to have a dream. That's so important in a vision. I feel like we've lost that a little bit. It's not about the money. I always, I mean, money is nice, 
but it's about fulfillment. And that's the first thing any chef has told me that I didn't join this industry for uh, money. I did it for fulfillment. Well, I get that, but we also have to have some form of balance for ourselves. So it's kind of like hitting in the middle a little bit, but first and foremost, we need a dream. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this restaurant industry work? And let's have the dreamers come up and rise to the occasion and say, I, I believe in and step up. And I think it's, it's going to take a lot of work because it, having a dream is one thing, but it, it takes a lot of people to step up outside of what they're daily doing. And um, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice and for this generation to make a change. But um, I hope that what what I, I the only people I see in the industry right now are the dreamers. And I'd like to like say that because we have to think positive. We have to have hope because there's so much negativity everywhere around us. Everywhere you see in the news, there's always something negative. But uh, if you can be a dreamer and dream that you can make an impact and change this industry by by your own dreams and vision and working hard and working with great people like Derek and his staff and you know, Lee initiative. So like you had mentioned, like, how do I do this? Well, nobody can do this alone. You, I mean, you're, you're going against thousands and thousands of years of systemic, um, um, you know, uh, inequities, right? So we have to come together as a community, like work together. Nobody, nobody can do this alone, but you know, I, I, I'm very much a big person to say, be a dreamer dream. What do you dream up? Like, if you love this industry, if you love to cook, if you love to serve, what can you dream up that is going to make it better? What can you dream up? And let's do it. Like, actually put that to action. How do you put that into action? I think we're going to end the show right now because that is the best wrap-up grand finale. Be a dreamer. Beautifully said. Be a dreamer. Find the people who share your dream and and figure out how to get it done. Um it, it almost sounds like, you know, Beverly Kim for mayor, <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we lose sight of those types of things, you know, maybe in the day to day grind and the fatigue of everything. And, and you know, to be a dreamer and what's your dream, that's almost, um, you know, maybe when, you know, everyone finishes listening to this podcast, turn off you know, your electronic device and, and take a breath and take a couple minutes. And what's the dream that you have today for yourself or your family or your neighborhood or your business? And think about what that is. And I bet it's, I bet there's somebody that you know, who would help you with that. Um, I am so happy to have Beverly Kim join me today, chef owner of Parachute and Wherewithal Restaurants in Chicago, also the founder of The Abundant Setting, a nonprofit supporting women, families, and progress in the restaurant industry. You can find that online, theabundancesetting.com. Find them on social media at Abundance Setting. We have Derek Wallace, co-founder of Kalamata's Kitchen. If you have not visited Kalamata's Kitchen the first time you listened to the Kalamata's Kitchen episode on Tech Bites, go check them out now, kalamataskitchen.com, K-A-L-A-M-A-T-A-S kitchen.com social media at Kalamata's kitchen it's I, I can't tell you how charming and fun it really is and I know it's for kids and families but if adults don't like it it'll never get to the kids and it's very hard to resist 
Um, and we have all come together to talk about pump spotting, you know, breastfeeding and lactation support and community for women, for women who work in restaurants. If you're a woman, if you're a woman and, and that is your, your current reality, check it out. If you're a restaurant owner or a business owner and you want to provide that for the people you work with, check it out as well. Pumpspotting.com slash restaurants. Um, there's an app. It's a platform. It's really great. And, you know, I will shout out the Lee Initiative also, Chef Ed Lee. He's amazing. He's a man. He does great things. Um, we talked about some amazing uh, relief work they did at the beginning of the pandemic in episode 203. We're a huge fan of his work here. Um, and Resi. And we've also had some folks on from Resi. Um, you know, big, you know, reservation, credit card, all that kind of stuff. You know, we think of it as maybe being something that's going to take us to a great restaurant or maybe get us a reservation. But, you know, money makes the world go round. And to Derek's point earlier, it's not just desire, but at the end of the day, things take money. And, you know, having support of, you know, financial institutions and products like that is is great as well. Um, I think it's a great show. Pass it along. If you have some ideas and thoughts about this, get in touch with us at TechBytes. We are very interactive. We would really love to hear from you. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social media, TechBytesHRN, on Instagram and Twitter. It's important to have these conversations. It's important to give a platform and a spotlight and pass the mic to people who are impacting our world and, you know, the world tomorrow. And I can't say it any better than Beverly Kim. You know, you got to be a dreamer. Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.